I had one video and it was Star Wars and I watched it over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> that it explains might be the, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it might be the only reason I watched it that much was because um, it was either that or my sister's copy of Grease. Oh boy. <laughs> Has uh, Sam Beckett just jumped into your body? <laughs> yes, actually. I, <laughs> I, um, I felt a bit queer there for a minute. <laughs> I don't know what Sam Beckett's um, purpose will be. Maybe I don't know, maybe get me a job. But uh, that will be a really interesting um, return to form for the uh, long-lost TV series Quantum Leap. He's just uh, just leapt into the body of somebody who is about to embark on a podcast, the purpose of which is purposefully nebulous. It's going to be a very frustrating half hour. It is. He's going to, he's going to be him. sort of stumbling his way through and then maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes into actually recording the show element, that's when Dean Stockwell appears through a magic special effect and mm-hmm. sort of fills him in on the details. I hadn't even thought of the prospect of Sam Beckett having to edit the podcast. All I was thinking about was like these last few days I've been scamping and sketching out what my mini comics are going to look like. So had that been sort of left halfway done and then Sam Beckett had to fill in the rest, (laughs) it would look like a real schizophrenic piece of work. Especially if all he could muster up was uh, stick men. It it strikes me that the people he leapt into actually had quite straightforward lives. Yeah. Really. I, I don't know what he'd make of my life. It sounds like something that might have happened. My memory of Quantum Leap isn't very strong. Did he ever leap into like an um, an airline pilot mid-flight or something like that? You'd hope so, wouldn't well, you? Well, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? That'd be pretty exciting. And not just not just like hanging out of the back of some man in some gay sex club, going, "Oh boy," <laughs> you know. But something which risked. I mean, yeah, the other guy could have had AIDS, but risking uh, the lives of a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, I can almost guarantee he never leapt into the body of someone who was in the middle of a meeting that was kind of an informal disciplinary but wasn't quite an informal disciplinary and the person wasn't getting told uh, just what it was they'd done wrong. They were being told a whole bunch of other nebulous stuff so it was unclear exactly what their response was supposed to be. I'm guessing Sam Beckett has never leapt into someone undertaking that drama. I wonder if that much of our because I mean we must be get we must be heading towards the point that he was coming back in time from if we haven't already gone past it. Oh, I don't, I don't know at the, what year it was meant to be set in. Well, it was all supposed to have been within his lifetime. He couldn't leap outside of his lifetime. All oh, right. But it strikes me that there aren't complete enough records of our early lives for um, Ziggy to really have been able to help him at all in the present day. Yeah, I'm really quickly scanning the Wikipedia entry and I'm struggling to see a year. It's probably, it was the year in the year 21... No, that's that's far too far in the future. The year 2012. <laughs> it says, in the pilot episode, the viewer is introduced to Sam Beckett, a genius physicist working on Project Quantum Leap in a concealed government laboratory in the southwestern desert of the United States near the end of the 20th century. So, time has already passed us. Oh my goodness. He was trying to uh, trying to get it all done before the Millennium Bug knackered everything. That's right, and in, in when he would have leapt into a fucking snail, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't going to come up with anything good. <laughs> that was rubbish. He never leapt into any non-humans. He did a chimp. Did he? Yes. So they're practically human, though, aren't they? Yeah, I know. What cop out? Oh, I loved that show. Nobody really had very high expectations of telly back then, did they? They were quite satisfied to just have an isolated narrative week on week on week. Mm. And if there was anything that was sort of arcing, that was a pleasant surprise and not uh, not a demand. I have to be honest, I've missed it a little bit. The last few years have really been an indication to me what happens when you introduce people who wouldn't have, who didn't grow up identifying as geeks to geek like behavior or fanish behavior not not wanting to always bang on about it but i get the feeling a lot of the people who ended up watching lost they're not necessarily predisposed to far-fetched ideas and and weird concepts that never necessarily go anywhere and all of that stuff and geeks are used to that the reason it's fresh in my mind at the moment has been uh, has been breaking bad Yep. which I haven't watched. And actually, I've been really surprised that people have been so good about spoilers with that. Um, they've been appropriately not spoilery in my timeline and my experience, which is quite good. Everyone's just been talking about how great it is. 
But I had to take the piss out of one of our friends a little bit on Facebook because someone was talking about how they just finished watching The West Wing, re-watching it all over again and going, yeah. oh, that was great. What else What else can I watch now? Um, I've heard good things about Breaking Bad. And then one of our friends, one of the people we know, jumped in and went, Breaking Bad makes West Wing look like a streak of piss. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> one's... A quite pithy, sometimes very dramatic, but largely quite witty and humorous ensemble piece about the President of the United States and the White House. And the other one's like a drama, as far as I can tell, <clears throat> a pretty straight down the line, but very, very good drama about a man having to make some really difficult decisions. Or not difficult, do you know what I mean? A man, a man who goes from being normal to being pretty much at the edge of the complete fringe of society or whatever. So, what so far this sounds like David Cameron. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it, it wouldn't seem to be a situation where those two shows could be compared to each other necessarily. It strikes me that they're very different, and I had to respond. I kind of ended up responding by going, um, Oh, I can't even remember. It was really witty. Just assume it was witty. <laughs> it, 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 oh, it that's was, a really good response, Nick. It was something along the lines of <laughs> I'd I'd heard that as far as uh, dramas about the White House that have loads of wit in, Breaking Bad is a bit shit. Because <laughs> it's like... But funnier than that, assume it was funnier. Oh, sorry, I'll, then, I'll insert that laugh. Good. That I just did, I'll do that again. <laughs> oh, that's a really good response, Nick. It's a bit terrifying. Just looking at Damon Lind, I, and to be fair, at Damon Lindelof did share it because, as I've said before, it is his want to do this sort of thing. But basically, his timeline turned into his ads. The second Breaking Bad finished, and I suspect some of these people didn't even watch Breaking Bad. To be honest, his his ads were just awash with people going on about the end of Breaking Bad was great. Lindelof, you hack! This is how you end a TV show, and it's kind of like well. Okay, A, those are two very different shows from what I can gather. Certainly from everything that people have said about Breaking Bad, it sounds like it's a very different sort of show. And B, it's been, what, four years since Lost finished? Is it really impossible for these people to enjoy something new now without it being infected by the need to have a go at someone else? I just don't... I don't know. It struck me as very strange. I didn't really understand. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess these people just, um, they're just comparing them as things that they've been entertained by. They're not really looking at anything too specific, quality of writing or the yeah. genre or anything like that. It's just, you know, which one did they feel like they got the best entertainment return from for, for the investment of their time? The thing that made me think more of the finale of Lost was when I was watching the finale of Dexter, which was as disappointing in terms of a story resolution uh -huh. um as with lost but i think with lost and plenty of other people would have done as well i think they would have already abandoned or let go their connection to any deep and meaningful narrative by this point yeah they've seen threads come and go they've seen mysteries unexplained and and they're left with characters and if they've come this far if they've come to the, the sixth season of lost it's because they like being around these people and so the resolution seems to work in terms of, well, you've liked these people, we're going to give them a send-off. There, there was an emotional truth to it that I really appreciate because I like the characters. Mm. The thing that strikes me the most about that, though, is I, it feels like, and again, I didn't, I've only watched the first season of Dexter because we never quite caught up with it. It's about one character and the people around him and although it's a very heightened reality because it's about a serial killer, it's fairly grounded by comparison to something like Lost. Yeah, there's 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 still a certain amount of suspending dif uh, disbelief that you have to mm -hmm. do. But yeah, I mean, it certainly doesn't ask you to go to the, the lengths that Lost does, in which mm. is a more fantastical setup, it has to be said. Yeah. Although you could argue that the idea of someone being able to kill people and get away with it for as long as he's done completely undetected is also quite a stretch of the imagination but yeah i mean that's pretty much the only thing mm. you're being asked there's no mysticism to it really no i can't think of many uh fantasy or science fiction series that actually pay off in the end because it's very difficult to land that plane once you've got reincarnating cyborgs in something like you do in Battlestar Galactica or once you've got uh, an island with all of this weird mysticism going on or once you've got uh, even going back as far as um, 
uh, American Gothic or something like that, which didn't actually get to play out in its own time, I think, but where you've got a, a sheriff who is probably just Satan and all sorts of weird stuff going on in, in that town, you're pulling people in with a lot more than just this real world, real world setting that you're handling quite dramatically. Mm. So it's going to be harder to please all of those people. I've gone. I mean, we're not really we're not really sticking to any sort of plan here. But then neither did Damon Lindelof. Zing. The way that Dexter finished. And by the way, I think by the time you get through the first four seasons, you would have got the best out of the mm. series. You could probably get through five, and then after that, let that be on your own head because you've definitely mm. seen the best of what it has to offer. The reason why the Dexter one got me thinking about Lost was that I actually felt the ending to Dexter was even less satisfying because you didn't even get to say goodbye to uh, to, to characters you recognised because mm-hmm. you ended up with a character that you didn't recognise and not because it was a deliberate decision throughout the course of a series that that was going to happen. Just weird shit happened. It was a very bad final episode and it, it wasn't a great final season either, in all honesty. Um to ride through 11 episodes of, well, I hope the 12th is going to be okay, to then get to the 12th and then go, mm, fucking hell, they really screwed that up. <laughs> it's just incredibly crushing and disappointing. It made me think, well, this makes what Lost did seem not so bad, if you like. Not that I ever thought that Lost ending was awful. We've already kind yeah, of discussed yeah. that. But the fact that you spent an awful lot of time, many, many more, eight years watching Dexter feeling like all of the things that he held dear and all the systems he built up were all very very specific and particular, but also incredibly fragile if mm-hmm. just one or two things kind of slip out of the way. As the series progressed and you got through seasons five, six, and seven, you really felt like season eight was going to be the thing where it was all going to fall apart. And then you get to season eight and it doesn't really fall apart and it sort of goes in a strange odd direction from what you thought it might do and i know for me personally maybe that's me anticipating or expecting something that was never going to happen and some of my disappointment comes from that mm-hmm. um in the way that you know once you're absolutely knee deep into something you start speculating up the wazoo but i don't think it was unreasonable after seven seasons to think that the final season would be where, where the house of cards would start falling down it didn't feel like a twist it felt like a bait and switch Mm-hmm. and um, you feel disappointed and you feel like that a series which probably could have done with being sunsetted one or two seasons before mm-hmm. really blew the opportunity to wrap everything up on a higher note. Yeah, I think the temptation to try and keep things ticking over is a bit daft when there's a proven level to people's patience already and it's about seven seasons. The thing I um, really liked about Lost, which makes it different from Dexter, because in Dexter you are just following one guy, really, aren't you? Well, um, you you are, but you aren't, because one thing that will often happen in TV series, and happened in Dexter as well, is that it's predominantly about a lead character, but you have this ensemble around him. And when a series like that runs on for as many seasons as they do, and you see more of the cast members turning up as executive producers, you see Mm -hmm. that the supporting cast has to have more screen time. You almost have a less dense story between the protagonist and the antagonist. You sort of got something a little bit weaker going throughout the 12 episodes. And in there, you've got little subplots going on with, you know, five or six different side characters which sometimes will feed back into the main story, but a lot of time it's just supplemental. It made the series eventually feel more like a soap than the drama that it started out to be. Yeah, I think one thing that Lost did that seemed to wind people up, but I actually think I really liked and was kind of quite brave and in its favour was each finale, which I think generally the finales were pretty good, each season finale set up the idea that the next season, it didn't tell you what was going to happen next season, but it said, okay, next season there's going to be a whole new thing going on. Mm. And then the next season generally ended up, having a very different character from the the previous ones to the point where when people complain about the lost finale i'm kind of like well to be honest the whole last season was pretty much the finale it's consistent yeah from beginning to end so and if you appreciate that 
then you're going to dig it. And if you don't appreciate that, well, you're just gonna you're just gonna have to enjoy the characters and swallow it. Like people get very upset about the time travel season, but that wasn't just an idea they dumped in there. They stuck with it for like nearly a whole season. Well, it's a very detailed idea, to be honest. It, it made for some complex storytelling. It's certainly a shock for some, I can imagine. Mm. If you expected the TV series to pretty much be the same thing week in, week out. Lost certainly wasn't like that, like you said. During the course of a season, especially in the early seasons, which were like 20, 22, 24 episodes Mm -hmm. long, the story it tells changes. You, You can have like three main stories running from beginning, middle to end, and they come in and they leave at different points. It's not just one thing all the way through. Which can mean that the way that you start, the way that you end a series can be very different. Quite rightly as well, because 22 episodes of exactly the same thing, if it's not a sitcom, probably isn't such a great idea. Or a procedural where the crime is the visit visiting guest every That's week. That's yeah. What do you want to talk about, Steve? <laughs> Well, I mean, we've already sort of hovered around the topic for the last 20 minutes because we've been talking about TV series and how they've ended. So I guess that's not really a far stretch from the topic, especially in terms of Breaking Bad, because it's been it's uh, over the last few weeks, it's been hard to move for someone somewhere talking about it, whether it's social media or TV news or um, online news or just catching up with your friends or whatever. It's been on the tip of a lot of people's tongues. Yeah, it has. And um, and like I said, as someone who doesn't watch it, I've been quite surprised at how little actual detail I've heard about it. Because normally, people can't wait to share a specific detail about something. Although with that, with that show, I wonder if part of it is people instinctively realise that it isn't necessarily what happens. The specific things that happen that are the big deal, so much as how the show is executed... I've heard a couple of things about previous seasons that have surprised me and made me really want to watch it, like details about previous seasons, and people have been quite careful about those. But And there's a very specific thing about the concept of spoilers that started bugging me recently, which I will get to. I'd like to think that with Breaking Bad specifically, maybe instinctively people have realised that the thing that's most important about it is their response to it, is experiencing it, rather than being told story beats. And maybe that's why people have been shying away from it, because more than any other show they've watched recently, they're really conscious that, okay, the journey here is actually quite important. It's kind of the thing. Because it hasn't been one of those water cooler shows where people talk about details at any point, really. It's all been about how awesome it was. I don't really know very much about that program, having not watched... I mean, I know about as much about it now as I did from the first episode, which I saw when it aired. I get the impression that from that first episode, the seeds that are sown in it uh, with the main character, Walter White, you get the impression from there that he is starting on a very long journey and it's all downhill because that's the way things that's the way uh journeys like that tend to go Mm. and nothing anyone said has really changed that impression at all but i also don't really know much about the detail of it yeah and that's that's rare that is really unusual yeah obviously this isn't the place to discuss the finer points of the series really but um Mm. by watching the first episode it gives you everything you need to start But what it doesn't give you is any inkling of how deep the rabbit hole goes. That it doesn't pull its punches when it does that, I think, is commendable. Because you could see that in a lot of TV series, they chicken out or they bail out of something. They want to pull back because they realise they've got a hit on their hands or this character Mm. is more likeable. You know, something that's probably going to be more of an issue if there was like focus testing all over the place this is definitely a series that knew where it was going how long it was going to take and what it would do and it did it unapologetically wasn't it just the one guy writing or did he the showrunner was vince gilligan's the showrunner um and he would have written his fair share of episodes but like a lot of tv series there's a showrunner who's got all of the main points, and then various episodes go to various writers. Because he had... I mean, that's that's normally how it works, isn't it? But he's yep. very much front and centre. The funny thing about Lost, 
because it's it's there in my head, is right up until people started complaining about it at the end, Damon Lindelof wasn't even a name I knew. He was one of the two main showrunners who were... I guess being interviewed and, and front and center on a lot of the stuff around the show, but it wasn't, if anything, it was a JJ Abrams show. I knew that, um, Brian K Vaughan was showrunner for a season or was very prominent for a season because of the comic connection. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is breaking bad has always felt when people talk about it. And when I've heard about it, like very much the vision of one person. Yeah, I think that'd be fair. Um, and if other people have come in to write episodes, sure, they'll get to be creative and they'll get to maybe make their mark, but they're servicing his vision at all times, whereas Lost was always the work of two or three people and kind of had that dynamic. Um, I'm trying to think of other shows that have been similar. The first few years of The West Wing, Aaron Sorkin wrote most of the episodes <laughs> and almost drove himself mad doing it, apparently. And that kind of shows as well. It's very consistent, those first few seasons. But that isn't... You're right, That that isn't how TV normally happens. And I think that's why some shows kind of lose their way a little bit more than other shows. Um, because you're right that, I guess, the deal that Vince Gilligan made when he set up that show probably required that he be left alone a certain amount it doesn't sound like it's been compromised by focus groups and studio interference one of the real interesting things that has come out of american cable television in particular and stations like hbo amc showtime the main three that i think about is that they're able to create these very specific dramas whereas lost because that's a main network it's got a whole different sort of pressure on it. A cable channel can take a risk in in a way that a network station can't because it's got to think of a wider audience, its advertisers, all of the network affiliates. It's got a whole bunch of people to please. And so really, when, when you think about Lost in those terms, that it managed to stick around and cut a deal and actually finish the way it hoped it would is a real achievement in terms of network yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at Breaking Bad now. I think the longest season was the most recent one, which was 15 episodes. I think the first one was nine episodes, and later ones were about 12 or 13. So it was a, a much tighter show anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, it's more common in terms of cable that seasons tend to be like 12 or 13 episodes because that's all they can afford to fund. But as you've already said, there is a benefit to that because you've got a tighter, more concentrated story within that season and the possibility of of being able to increase the production value per episode. Vince Gilligan wrote 62 of the episodes. The next nearest to him was Peter Gould, who wrote 11 of the episodes. And then there's like one person did 10. There are nine writing credits on Breaking Bad. There's a there's probably a writer's room, so they probably break down episodes. But that's as yeah. lead writer, he wrote sixty two episodes, and so he obviously got to keep a really close handle on what was going on. And that's great. I think I do need I do need to watch it at some point. It's just Amy didn't like it. It's all Amy's fault. Everything's all Amy's fault. I've allowed myself to go way off the point I, I was hoping to make. We have managed to talk about all of these shows and about how we feel about them and actually go into some depth about the production and what we think might have been why they worked and why they didn't work without actually going into much much or any detail about particular story points. I don't understand at one level why it is so hard to talk about things in that way, why something is good or why something is bad, without actually discussing story points. Um, so I don't understand why people find it so difficult uh, not to spoiler things. But at the same time, I have got really agitated recently by people reacting to somebody spoiling something by acting as if their baby's been stolen, <laughs> when really they just got a bit of a story told to them. I don't get it. I don't get that either. I, those people need to calm down a little bit too. So the spoiler people need to try and be a bit more restrained. People bitching about spoilers need to get some perspective. But the thing that's been winding me up the most when I've been listening to podcasts just recently is there's this thing that people do, and I don't know, you've probably heard it either on podcasts or on something else, where someone says, they're talking about The Matrix. Specifically, I was listening to one where they were talking about The Matrix in the last few days. They're about to go into a story point, 
and they do their big spoiler klaxon, and then one of them says, oh, and then this happens, and then someone said, well, we just did the spoiler klaxon, and and they feel the need to say, and this this has become maddening to me, they feel the need to say, well, well, I mean, a spoiler warning 14 years after it came out, <laughs> which just is infuriating to me, because it's like telling a filthy joke that you know is inappropriate in the company you're saying, but then saying, well, not, you can't say stuff like that anymore, though, can you? It's political correctness gone mad. It's come to feel the same when I hear people saying it now. I, I find that irritating in, res- in the respect that there's always going to be someone who hasn't seen or read or heard something that was made X amount of years ago. Doesn't doesn't matter how new or old it is, there's always going to be someone who hasn't seen it. The attitude of, well, you know, it's your fault for not seeing it sooner, that sort of grates because that just sounds like that person not really understanding. Not really understanding the point of the story or, or the point of story or the point of entertainment or, yeah. I Not just from, not just from the respect of, like, entertainment as fashion. Because it's new, then it's in, or it's the thing that you have to see now, and if you haven't hmm. seen it, then you're out of touch and it doesn't matter. The whole point of experiencing entertainment or experiencing something as entertainment is that you get to have your own response you get to have your own emotional response you can like it you can hate it you can enjoy it you can think it sucked it's totally fine but that is your experience to own it's not really anybody else's place to ruin that or take that away from you and no, to I then throw agree. that in with the attitude that it's your fault for not keeping up with the times daddy-o that's probably the absolute dirt worst aren't i clever i watched this when everyone else was when everyone else watched it yeah it's like woo, okay have a medal congratulations enjoy your fucking dubstep i don't care <laughs> that should be a t-shirt enjoy your fucking dubstep um <laughs> the thing about the thing about spoiler and again i speak as someone who isn't that bothered by them i'm bothered by the attitude of some people once they've dropped them in the same way that like people who fart really obnoxiously i'm just like well come on you know it's not very nice fine you had to do it you couldn't resist but like don't be a dick about it afterwards when you tell someone part of a story whether they have seen it or not what you are doing is you are putting yourself in between them and the person who told that story or or you're putting yourself between them and the story Mm. now that's fine in a lot of circumstances it's absolutely and if you're doing it with someone who has already heard that story or watched that program or whatever then it's okay because you're putting yourself in between them and the story but they've already had their own experience and you can have this conversation where both of you in there because what you're doing when you do that when you share one of those story points is you're interpreting it yeah Uh, you might not be interpreting it particularly intelligently but if you're doing a film studies degree or a literature degree or you're doing a, a podcast um, that aims to uh, examine the whole of one particular work or um, there's a particular magazine which I'll get to in a minute called Sight and Sound. I don't know if it's still around, but it used to be a film, like a proper critical review of film and it used to tell you everything that happens in the story there's a value to that so i don't want to dismiss it entirely there is a value to that if that's what you are clear you are doing and that's what the people who are reading you or listening to you are expecting it's all fine that's absolutely fine it's not a problem but you are putting yourself in between the other person and the story so if you're going to do it own it just understand that that's what you're doing you're taking from the creator of that story and you're kind of owning it you're claiming it Mm -hmm. a little bit for yourself because you're imparting it there is no problem with doing that if it's if it's someone you already know knows the story if the ground rules are established beforehand you already know uh, that the other person has watched a tv program sometimes it's awesome talking over all of that stuff with each other all of those details it's fine I don't know where the fun is in doing it. I think Twitter's a particularly odd place to be doing that. But it feels like you're going into a room and going, ha ha, I saw Breaking Bad, aren't I awesome? And the way I can prove I saw Breaking Bad is this is a thing that happened. (laughs) I don't understand why people feel the need to do that. Uh, It feels a little bit insecure, but that's fine. It's it's okay, though. I don't mind. Uh, Because the flip side to this is it's a slightly obnoxious behaviour but it's it's not the end of the world if someone does that to you. And the correct way, as far as I'm concerned, to deal with that 
is if someone in your timeline does that and it annoys you and it really spoils something for you, unfollow them. It's really that easy. Or give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was a cock-up. Maybe they didn't mean to do it. And if they keep doing it, then unfollow them. Unless you get something of equal value to the disservice they're doing to you by uh, spoiling this thing for you, in which case just accept that that's something you're going to have to deal with if you're going to stick around for the hilarious knob gags or whatever it is that they happen to bring into your life. But don't just berate people in public for it, because that just sounds lame. It's, I think we talked about it in a previous show. It's when you're just whinging at someone for something that they just did that didn't really hurt you, you end up sounding like an asshole. And they're already an asshole, and you just made yourself an asshole, so you're all just assholes. <laughs> I saw a similar thing happen on a video game podcast I listened to where they were talking about a game. I think they were talking about Saints Row 4. I don't know if it's possible for me to spoil something if I haven't actually played it. But they literally said something like, oh, it's really cool when you get the gun that does this. And their message boards afterwards was full of people going, hey, not cool guy. That that game only came out this week. That's pretty limp. It's not a story point, is it? It's a weapon. It's a detail. And unless it was, a, you know, if it carried with it a specific surprise or it was a significant story point, it's like, well, what have you actually spoiled? Because by that point, you might as well say, well, it's a third person, open world, blah, blah, blah. And someone's going, what? I was not expecting that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because, come on, there are certain details that really aren't giving anything away because they're sort of not that significant. In the natural course of a review, you are going to talk about aspects of a game, right? If you're reviewing a game sure. or discussing a game or previewing a game, you don't want to give the story away. You don't. You certainly don't want to spoil the ending, but you are going to give the reader an impression of how the story starts, what the basic plot is, is going to be and what you can expect. And if there's something particularly fun, you're going to want to talk about it. So if there's if there's a if there's a particular gun like the dubstep gun, for example, which you get pretty early on in Saints Row Four, I think that's the one they were talking about. That's not a massive giveaway. The dubstep gun in particular has been a part of the marketing of that game from the very first previews of the game. They've been showing off that gun. That in this particular case, and in the case of a lot of podcasts. You might, if you listen to it once, you can get a sense for whether or not they're going to be really timid about that stuff. How much they're going to talk about the story in a game, how much they're, or a film or whatever, how much they're going to go into detail about particular game mechanics. It's one of those fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me situations, really. If somebody's been doing a show for two or three years, and you listen to the podcast for the first time and they spoiler it, don't go into their message board and, and comments and start berating them for something when, for all you know, they do that every week. And if it bothers you that much, don't go back and keep listening to the same thing. It's possible that in these situations what happens is they talk about that. They, they talk about every game they review in roughly that way. It's just these people really cared about Saints Row for whatever reason. So they don't notice it when they do it about these other things. But it's just be aware of what you're consuming. And if it seems like they're going to do things or say things that are going to bother you, whether it's spoilers or whatever, possibly that isn't the show for you. Spoilers. This is a modern thing, isn't it? I mean, we're talking... The way I see it is sort of hand in hand. You've got the increase and the diversification of tv channels and ways to experience media plus you've got the ability to discuss instantly online and these two things have sort of come together Mm -hmm. because again i have to kind of cast minds back to when we were both growing up where there would have only been three and then four terrestrial tv channels satellite tv didn't exist and so tv channels would have an increased amount of attention. Mm-hmm. TV programs could warrant 10, 15, even up to 20 million viewers in a way that outside of like a national news event or the Olympics just wouldn't happen anymore because everything's multi-channel and so you've got that viewership spread very thinly. Obviously, back in the day, you would have had like a Christmas special of Only Fools and Horses probably attracting 14, 15 million people. So it becomes like a significant piece of entertainment. But there were also very few ways... It was easier easier to kind of control the, 
the promotion of it or the discussion of it because you would have had the TV Times, the Radio Times and some newspapers. And that would have pretty much been the only way that you would have heard anything about it. I mean, we're using only fools and horses here. It could be anything. But because of that limited range of choice, I suppose, and the limited methods of discussion, um, it was you were more likely to all watch the same thing and it sort of become event TV. And today you've got 100 200 300 god knows how many channels depending on what country you live in very diversified very niche in some respects and a lot of different people watching lots of different things and talking about them to different people at different times the problem that you get with that is that if you didn't watch a tv program in the early 80s it was because either you didn't care or didn't like it or whatever um and you didn't have the opportunity to catch up with it later sitcoms or dramas wouldn't naturally be released on vhs weeks or even months after they'd be on and then that would be it and they might get repeated but that might well be the end of it there wasn't this market for um post-broadcast viewing yeah you know and we're not just talking about recording it and watching it later but buying it or even in today's world streaming it through hulu netflix love film what have you so you have a really different audience now in the respect that these things might get aired and only viewed by a small handful of people, but over time, there's the possibility for anybody to catch up with it, either by, uh, you know, DVD box sets or streaming or borrowing something from a friend or whatever. So you combine that with um, an, in an, an increase of places where people come together to talk about stuff and obviously with social media in particular, eavesdropping, because even in the... In, in it's something that we talked about before even in the days of message boards it was topic driven so you could avoid a thread if it was sure. about a tv show that you were watching or you wanted to watch whereas of course you don't have that on just a rolling timeline of people's updates they aren't themed with a subject matter people don't have the presence of mind or don't really care about whacking in like a spoiler warning or anything at the beginning it's just however they feel at the time one of the things I love about the social internet, though, well, just the internet in general, but, but specifically the social internet, is the ability to discover gems or things that everyone watched but you missed years later mm -hmm. and the ability to share with people, you know, to match up the people you know with things they might like that they wouldn't have ever seen or looked at unless you'd been talking about films on Twitter or something like that. It's this irony that it's such a great place. It's such a great place for the sharing of all of this stuff, uh, for the discovery, sorry, of all of this stuff. But it's also a bit of a minefield for actual detail of it. But you can control it. And the way you control it is you try to make sure you're only really following people or associating with people who feel the same way about this stuff that you do, who respect stuff. They might be a slip-up every now and then. Someone might say something without thinking, and it might still happen. But generally speaking, you know that the people you're choosing to follow are not the sort of people who are going to try and seize ownership of these TV programs and stuff by saying, oh, you'll never believe what I just saw on this program. Because <laughs> you don't follow those people if you're smart. You just, if you want to be surrounded by people who are going on about that stuff, you can. But like, otherwise, you follow people who you know are, who you know know the difference between talking about something critically and respecting other people's experience of it and not. One thing that came up in a conversation I was having earlier today um, with someone, they said something really smart about this. And it plays into how I think people who talk about entertainment on podcasts or on review sites and stuff like that, that should be aware of, of what it is they're aiming to do. Um, and that's that there's a difference between content and context. You can say an awful lot about something, as we did in the, at the beginning of this show, about how it makes you feel, about what sort of uh, setting it's in, about how it approaches its stories... Uh, about just the general feeling you get from different characters and stuff like that, uh, which is the context of something without actually talking about the specifics of what happens. And you can do that for ages. We did it earlier on. Yeah. Um, it, it is possible to do that. And good reviewers do that. Thing. Well, some not so good reviewers also do that. And some <laughs> good reviewers don't do that. Well, that's fine. You know, I don't, I don't want to be really prescriptive about this. But it's just kind of, it's worth thinking about that when you're either reviewing things or finding reviewers that you gel with when you're reading or listening or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's that difference between content and context. And we even boiled it down to 
or he even boiled it, I don't want to take credit for it, he even boiled it down to the difference between saying that something is really twisty-turny, which is context, and saying, oh man, you think you know what's happening, and then in the last five minutes there's this twist, which is very specific content. That That's one of the spoiler-non-spoiler things that people can get really argumentative about. No, sorry, if you tell someone there's a twist at the end of a film, you might as well just tell them what the twist is. Because you have meant that they're you have changed their entire experience of it because they're going to sit there waiting for it. That's just how it is. It is what it is. It's interesting you mention that because I guess one of the classic... I say classic, it's not that old, but one of the classic examples of spoilers would have been The Sixth Sense, this film mm-hmm. by an uh, exciting hip new director, um, which also had Bruce Willis in it, caught people off guard. It was almost the point of the film, that, uh, that twist... That catches the viewer off guard, if they haven't been paying attention. It's the takeaway, isn't it, from that movie? And um, if you hadn't seen it at the time, and other people had, there was almost sort of a joke just around. I mean, like, it was a thing on TV and stuff that you would you'd sort of allude to it, but you wouldn't tell people what it was, which in itself is a spoiler. Because if you, if you understood the premise of The Sixth Sense, if you'd seen a trailer for The Sixth Sense, and then someone tells you, oh, but there's a twist if you really put your mind to it you could just figure it out and it's already been ruined for you (laughs) yeah if you know then you work out almost straight away the other side of that is well what if it doesn't matter what if the surprise from that twist doesn't actually matter and the real point or the real enjoyment to take out of that film is the craft in how it was done and i know that not every viewer is able to take in a book or a film or a TV show or something with that in mind because they're very much story and character driven and they haven't got this other level of uh, appreciating how something might have been put together. It's funny you say that because I've been thinking exactly the same thing while you've been talking about it, that like the funny thing about that film is that it pretty much spoiled M. Night Shyamalan's whole career. It's such a well-made film, mm. but the talking point of it, and it's nice and it's, well, it's not nice, it's heartfelt and it's emotional and it's a really, really good film. It was entirely spoiled for me, exactly the way we're talking about. I knew that there was a big twist, that's what everyone was talking about, and pretty much worked it out. And I hate when people say this, but it is pretty obvious from very early on, if you know that this film's going to trick you, we should put a spoiler in the site thing for for six cents because the fact that it had a twist became the talking point of that film even if people didn't say what it was that was the thing oh you'll never believe the twist and it ended up becoming part of the second wave of marketing for Mm. it and and all of that stuff and yeah it made it it made it and everyone involved lots of money that way but that became an aspect of every film m night shaleman did after it and it didn't matter how well made those films were he became the guy who did feature-length Outer Limits episodes, <laughs> and that's got diminishing returns. You don't get to be that... Um, it compromises everything he did afterwards. He doesn't help himself by feeding those expectations. When I look at his work, I don't see Unbreakable, really, as a twist movie. No, where, not Whereas The Sixth Sense is, Signs is, The Village is... Um, I have. I don't think I've seen any of his others. I think no, not the knowing. That's not the one. The happening. I think. Yeah, there's the happening that I haven't seen. Lady in the Water that I haven't seen. So I can't really speak to them. But I mean, I I don't. He doesn't help himself by making twist movies. He he should have just gone off and gone right. Okay, let's attack a different genre or tell a different story or make a sappy romantic comedy or just to break that spell a little bit and then come. You know, if you wanted to make a twist movie, come back to it. But the fact that it sort of became what he was known for very quickly and carried that reputation of the sixth sense, because you can only trick people once. Yeah. That's the problem. When people pay their money, get their ticket and sit down in the cinema and they're looking and they're waiting for a twist, it's never going to be as pleasant a surprise or a shock, is it? Because you just go, oh, yeah, there it is. And then you're just waiting for the film to end then because you, you, you don't even care where the story goes. You're not interested in the resolution. You just want the reveal, essentially, that moment of surprise. And if it doesn't surprise you, then there'll be hell to pay. But yeah, that content context thing was really interesting. And what you need to be paying attention to when you are going to sites to either... You're either going to talk about films... Let's use films as an example because I keep going films, books, films, books, video games. And let's yeah. just say films. Generally, you're either going 
to talk about films or you're going to find out about them in advance of seeing them. Places seem to make a decision about which they're going to be. The Incomparable is clearly not intending people to listen to that episode if they haven't already watched The Matrix. I don't know why anybody would listen to an hour-and-a-half podcast about a film that they haven't seen, (laughs) unless they just like hearing people talk about things, whether they've seen them or not. Um, The best way I can think of to put it into words is that you've got reviews and you've got critiques. They are going to examine this thing and they're going to see what makes it tick or at least see why they connected with it. The magazine I talked about, Sight and Sound, earlier on, and maybe this might be why I'm a little bit less militant about things like spoilers, because the first time I ever read this magazine, Sight and Sound, the way it structures its critiques of films, and it does all of the films that came out that week or that month, is it has one page that is a full synopsis from beginning to end of the film, and then the second page is a critique of it talks about the how it was filmed whether it's effective whether it isn't how the narrative works just basically critiques it i did not know that the first time i read a critique in it i wanted to know i saw this magazine uh, on the shelf in the library i think it was at the, when i was at university so i saw that it had 12 monkeys on the cover and i was interested in that because it was terry gilliam and bruce willis started reading the synopsis thought oh they're just they're just setting the scene here this is normal they always set the scene of what film's going to be about and then they veer off and talk about what they thought of it and stuff kept reading thought there's really quite a lot of detail i wonder when they're going to get to review i mean it's probably quite a long film that's why there's so much of this and then got to the bit where it tells you exactly what happens in the final 20 minutes and then it says pretty much the end at the end and i thought oh i now know everything that happens in that film I, I wasn't aware that I was playing chicken with it, to be honest, because I didn't, I didn't know that I was in a game of chicken with this review. And that was entirely my fault that that happened. And when I went to see it, I got to enjoy it because of the craft and everything you were talking about. Yeah. But any particular twists and turns and content to it wasn't a surprise to me. And it was probably spoiled for me a little bit by that. You have to be pretty much an idiot to have read to halfway through a synopsis of the film The Twelve Monkeys and not realise you're getting the whole story. I clearly just wasn't paying enough attention. God, I can't remember the the year it comes out. It, it, it doesn't matter. It might have been 96, I suppose, but... I remember watching on the TV a review of the film Leaving Las Vegas. And while it doesn't give any of the details away, essentially the review has to tell you the the point of the film. The point of the film is the lead character decides to drink himself to death. For me, that was like, wow, that sounds like an interesting film. I want to go and see it. And I did, and I really enjoyed it. It's not something you can watch very regularly, but it's an excellently put-together movie. But how can you not talk about a film like that without saying that the lead character makes a very deliberate decision to go to Las Vegas and drink himself to death and succeeds? Now, that's pretty much the film. Yeah. You know, you could... <laughs> like Titanic, well, I know how it ends. Why would I <laughs> Why would I want to see it? But you know that there's more to it than that. You want to see how that story unfolds, and that hasn't been spoiled for you. And I know that that doesn't necessarily work for every story, but some of those stories, some of the high-concept stuff, pretty much in the plot or the main setup, gives you an idea of where it's going to go yeah and it's just basically down to you then to want to be interested in seeing how those events unfold and how those characters smash together Uh, on the uh, imdb site setting for it it says genre drama comma romance which is is interesting because i've only seen it once and don't think i could bear to see it again but i don't i suppose it is kind of romantic yeah not in your traditional romantic comedy sort of frame of mind, but there is a romance. I think it would be almost unfair to let someone watch that film and not know that that's what it's about. It's interesting that you picked that particular film. I can't think of many films where that's the case, even Requiem for a Dream, which is Mm. relentlessly bleak and (laughs) pretty much tells you, look, this isn't going to get any better for these people at all. There's still some mystery to how things are going to pan out. But um, you don't get the feeling that leaving Las Vegas is going to turn into a happy-go-lucky romantic comedy at any point. The the thing I was saying about the... Oh, spoiler warning, if you need spoiler warning about a film that's been out for 14 years, yeah. uh, thing 
is it's not just about choosing who you follow or who you listen to or who you read. It feels to me like people should take some ownership of who they expect to be listening to them or reading them or whatever. And to give an example, if you're going to be the sort of person who is going to go on Twitter and say, I was going to totally make up a spoiler about uh, the final episode of Breaking Bad then, and I realised that I don't know what happens in it, so I might actually spoil it. <laughs> so forget that. Um, no, no, it, it was a dog stream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kaiser Soze was Darth Vader. Um, okay. Yeah, if you're going to be the sort of guy, who, the sort of person who goes onto Twitter and says that, you don't deserve to have people throw abuse at you, but you have to be aware that there are going to be some people who will not want to follow you because of that. But if people that you know say to you, oh, come on, man, that's not cool, or decide to unfollow you or whatever, you don't get to be a dick about it. No one owes it to you to just take anything you say and all of your bullshit and not unfollow you. It feels to me like the people who do that passive-aggressive, I'm going to do a spoiler warning, but you're idiots for me having to do a spoiler warning thing. It feels like they're kind of doing the same sort of thing. If you feel the need to do a spoiler, it should be about whether or not you want to provide that service to your listeners. Because you can just as easily choose to say at the beginning of the show, listen, we're going to be talking about The Matrix, we're going to be talking about it for about an hour and a half, you should go and see it before you listen to this podcast, or, you know, wait and listen to the next episode. If you're a critique show, or a journalist, or whatever, who's going to do critiques, own that, be aware that that's what you are, if you want to warn people in advance, that's fine. But you don't have to be a dick about it because not everyone wants to, you know, if someone's been surprised by a critique instead of a review, they're the one who loses out. There's no need to rub it in. But if you want to be a review show, and this is definitely something that we fall into on the on the momcast sometimes, if you're talking about something because you want someone to go out and read it, then you have to be aware that if you tell them everything that happens in it, which I've done, which we've all done, then you are taking away some of the reason for them to go and read it or watch it or whatever. Mm. Work out what it is you want. Work out why you're talking about the thing and own it. That's what I reckon. This one's really got to you. I, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's, it's been a heavy-duty week. I don't understand why people do it. It kind of feels like generally the people who do it are smarter than that. I think it's how much it reminds me of political, the whole political correctness thing that really gets to me as well. I'm doing this because I'm forced to do it. No one's forcing you to do anything. No, that's true. It's a less harmful trigger warning, I suppose, whacking in a spoiler alert. It's difficult because it's natural for people to talk about stuff that they have enjoyed. Mm. You know, if they really love it and they're excited about it, it's, you know, verbal diarrhea time. It's just all going to come spilling out in one hot mess. (laughs) Don't picture it. Mm. Um, You've just seen it. You're full of emotion. You loved it. You want to talk to anybody you know about it and yeah sure if you're blogging if you've got a podcast or whatever then you've got a much higher level of responsibility of protecting the readership protecting the audience but you know if it's facebook or twitter or something like that then it's very hard sometimes to not give something away as it were and i I don't know whether post show it's as hard to do as someone who might be live tweeting while watching which is obviously a real modern thing and very Um, odd yeah and easier to avoid. The live tweeting stuff is really easy to avoid because you just don't look. Yeah. You know, it depends on, on how you imbibe this second screen stuff. Whether if you've been away from Twitter or uh, more Twitter than Facebook, because Facebook is a structure where you do tend to catch up more. Twitter is something that you can choose to ignore if you wish. It's a lot tougher once you are a day or two away and it's not so much in the public consciousness and then someone will do something Mm. then that definitely feels like more of a dickish move um but even even then you know someone who might be watching breaking the you know the last breaking bad a few days later because you know that's been their first opportunity to see it um even even they won't necessarily have the presence of mind to be considerate about their audience and in some respects they don't have to hmm if they're a friend of yours or something, I guess that's a, a much tougher line to, to come against. And in some ways, spoilers are not entirely unavoidable. It, I guess it's part and parcel now of a balanced media diet. The, the two things that I wanted to mention in terms of Breaking Bad, for example, I was just off Twitter all day. 
Yeah. From the moment I woke up on Monday morning, it's like, oh, I'm not going to read anything because the chances are that I could stumble across something. And even if I don't, there's just going to be a whole bunch of chatter about it. Even if it's all positive and all excited and all spoiler free, it's already having an effect on the way I'm going to enjoy that final episode. Mm. So just don't look. That day I didn't look. I'm glad I did it. Um, mm. The only other time that I have to stay away, this isn't something I've had to worry about until the last couple of years, which is related to Formula One, because it used to be live on terrestrial mm-hmm. TV, and then the BBC decided, for probably more political reasons than anything, they couldn't afford to keep up their obligation for the rights payments. So they went into a sharing thing with Sky Sports. Sky Sports got it all live. The BBC was like half live and half highlights. So obviously when it comes to a weekend where the BBC only have the highlights, there is a live event happening that I'm not seeing, which is going to be discussed on Twitter, and will also come up on the news, potentially. So I've got to close down several different routes of information to make sure that I don't spoil the result of, of a sporting event for myself. Now, I could choose, if I wanted to, to watch it live by paying money out the nose for Sky or or by listening to it on the radio, but I choose to watch it in this particular way. And as part of that choice, I do have to make sure that I don't spoil uh, the result for myself. It's not hard to do, but it does involve making a very specific decision not to fall into easy habits. Yeah, it's funny you mention that, because when we were talking about the this being quite a modern thing, the first time I saw people getting irate about spoilers... It wasn't a geek behaviour. It was something I always observed, and it's kind of why I have the opinion I have about people trying to marginalise other people for being into dorky things or whatever. Um, The first times I saw people getting funny about spoilers, it was about football, and it was back in the 80s. It was they hadn't had the chance to listen to it on the radio or whatever, and other people had seen the match on telly or whatever, and people used to get very angry <laughs> about it as well and and um, would be goaded by their friends sometimes. You'd see it. And again, because I don't really like football and I, I was normally only observing these people rather than necessarily being that close to them because they hated me, not, not the other way around. It was always a really interesting behaviour to see. But it's exactly the sort of thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, very much. It, it's, it's exactly that. It's uh, Why would you tell someone the results if they don't want to know it? Literally, the only reason to tell them is to piss them off if they don't <laughs> want to know. But um, it's the kind of the opposite origins from what you were saying are the origins of, of why it's so much more difficult to avoid this stuff and why it happens more often. Um, because football was the one thing that was very important to people, but they couldn't get at because it wasn't everywhere. It wasn't being broadcast live everywhere or whatever. So where now the technology makes it more of a problem for Uh, the rest of us back then the lack of the technology made it really difficult for football fans i think Mm, yeah you were probably smart to avoid the internet when breaking bad was i I did again i was insulated from it because i'm not watching it but breaking bad's kind of been spoiled a bit for me by people going on about how great it is all the time because actually there's no way it can live up to it well that's true actually it's got the potential just by being such a talking point and being in this but our final half of the series being, frankly, unavoidable. Mm. It does have the potential of putting people off. It's also weird because it's garnered late adopters. It's almost, and again, I'm only making the loss comparison because other people have made the loss comparison. It's happened the other way around. An awful lot of people have been watching Breaking Bad. Well, a few people have been watching it since the beginning. Um, and then it's picked up lots and lots of viewers People already know that everyone thinks it's great by its last season, whereas Lost had so much momentum and so much hype and so much word of mouth in the first few episodes that I think it got an awful lot of people watching who really had no... They they were never going to enjoy it, even if it was amazing sort of thing. Mm. It's the opposite way around from Breaking Bad entirely. It was a pretty quiet release when it came out in the first place and the wire was very similar as well the wire was all but done by the time britain noticed it existed it's not necessarily easier for shows like that to not disappoint it's just that most of them are over 
before you don't have that thing that happens with a really long running show like lost or like any other one where half the people watching it by that point are only really watching it because stockholm syndrome set in at around season the amount of people who say oh you know lost hasn't really been any good since halfway through season two and it's kind of like but you're still watching it yeah you're still so angry at the end of it and that's not going to happen in breaking bad Hardly anyone no. was watching it at season two. People already know that it turns out okay. Not turns out okay. As far as I can tell, everyone dies. But, um, you know, that it's still good. That it's very high quality Armageddon. Doesn't Walter White kick off a zombie apocalypse or something? Isn't that what happens? I don't know. He becomes president. <laughs> well, that's it. So it's a social commentary on uh, on the state of US politics as well. <laughs> you will not believe the bases it covers. <laughs> Okay, forget I even said that. Yeah. Don't worry about that. You're already off. Are you off? You're getting a drink? No, just... I, I'm not always on mic, Nick. Oh, but I thought you were. Sometimes I need to jot something down and I have to go off mic, but I'm still in the room. You've got headphones that go around with you, haven't you? You're not just ignoring me when you're away from the mic. Well, I'm not going to give that away. <laughs>